Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 93 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to Kelsey Beckman, Olympic Trials Qualifier and Registered Dietitian about all things fueling and nutrition. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners welcome to episode 93 on our way to 100 almost there ryan how are you today i've been wanting to say that for a while and i still said it too early because we still got a ways to go seven weeks about right yeah not so bad I'm doing well. How are you, Letty? I'm doing great. Just a busy week of training and painting the office. You know, fun things like that. Training? What did you do? So I ran three 10-milers during the week at a very slow pace to go with this whole, you know, 80-20, going slow to run faster. And then I had one run that was a workout of fast four and a half minute segments. And then tomorrow I'm going to have another slow 10 miler. And then Sunday, fun day is my long run day. <laughs> I should have been a rapper. And uh, I'm going to do, I think, 20 miles with 15 hard threshold miles. You'll be sleeping. By the time I come back, you'll be barely awake. Mm, maybe. We got little kids. So you might be up then too. I likely will. Yeah. So, Letty, you've been eating a lot recently. I think your hunger level has gone up. How do you know I've been eating a lot? Because <laughs> you're always hungry. Well, it doesn't mean I'm eating a lot, but thank you very well, much. <laughs> Am I getting fat for you? <laughs> no. I didn't say that. I just said you're eating a lot. I have been eating a lot. I've been really, really hungry, but I it's guess... Okay, it's okay to eat when you're running, too. I mean, you're burning a lot of calories. You need to replenish. You know, you're actually true. I mean, right, running 50 to 70 miles a week is a lot of calories that you're burning and you're trying to rebuild, right? So you obviously have to eat some protein to rebuild the muscle that you're breaking down, all that fun stuff. So that leads us to our today's topic of diet and nutrition. Yes, and we were lucky to get together or, you know, get together on Zoom with Kelsey Beckman. And she is an Olympic trials qualifier um, under the new standards. And, you know, they used to have the standards of for women. You can run the trials if you run at sub 245. And they've lowered that recently to be at 238 for all females. So guess what her time was? 234. I mean, that comes up to a sub six minute mile, if you think about that, which is kind that's of amazing. Crazy. Yeah, that's fast. 
So, but she was super nice. She's a registered dietitian. And of course, um, my ending questions are all about her Olympic qualifying race and how she trains and all that stuff. Because I guess if you're that fast, who do you even train with, right? I mean, you got to go with somebody that bikes next to you or something like that. Yeah, when you're training or to run, when you're running fast during your training, for sure. But what, you know what's also surprising? What's that? That she buys into that same philosophy of having some of her runs being at a slower pace. So she reveals to me that she runs some of her runs at an 8.30 pace, which is significantly slower than her marathon time. Yeah, um, I think that's, it, it is interesting and probably valuable. It's like a way to strengthen, you know, and probably repair your body to repair a bit if you're below your peak. And build more capillaries. And strengthen tendons and muscles. And So what else did you get into? So for nutrition questions, I talked to her about a little bit of gut health because that's the uh, specialty that she does. We talked about weather and how to fuel your runs. You know, you have shorter runs, meaning runs less than an hour. Then you have shorter runs that are easy. You have shorter runs that are high um, heart rate. And then you have the longer runs that you do slowly. So all that stuff, which ones are... Um, which ones need to be fueled. Um, we also talked a little bit about fat adaptive training. We talked about runger, which is hunger for runners, which <laughs> I get that a lot when I get rangry. <laughs> and gaining weight while marathon training. Um, we talked about GI issues during marathon, hydration and post-run nutrition. And uh, yeah, and then like I said, you know, I talked to her a lot about her Olympic tri Olympic trial qualifying race and how she manages running that in her head, you know, just being mentally there and, and being a goal-getter with that. Sounds good. You want to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I'm on here with Olympic trial qualifier, Kelsey Beckman, also registered dietitian. Thank you so much for joining me, Kelsey. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you. I'm super excited too, especially now that we have someone that we know that we can follow during the Olympic trials race. So we'll be cheering you on. Yeah, we still don't know where they are. And so I think that it feels like such a long time to wait for, but um, I'm sure I'll get here before we know it. Yes, yes, yes. Especially with those training cycles. But um, for those that haven't heard of you, can you please tell us who you are, where you're from, and how you started running, and then also how you got into becoming a dietitian. Yeah, awesome. So I'll start with, um, I am Kelsey Beckman. I um, am a registered dietitian. I specialize in sports dietetics. And then also I dabble in gut health, definitely an area that I unintentionally have a lot of experience in being a runner and then being in a city where there's a lot of demand for that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm saying dabble in because I'm still learning. And I think as, as a profession and of dietetics, we're still learning a lot more. So always more research should be done in a lot of different areas. Um, so I got into dietetics. I've been a lifelong athlete. I grew up playing soccer. Um, that was my, my first love. And, um, I suffered a, a pretty common yet bad injury that female, um, high school athletes and really like college athletes suffer. Um, I tore my ACL and, um, 
now, Leticia, I'm dating myself, but when I was in high school, I, there wasn't a lot of sports nutrition information, or at least I hadn't stumbled across it. And so I started becoming curious as like someone that loves soccer and wasn't very patient of how can I heal my body the quickest? And we did have Google back then. And so I went through all of these Google searches, 15 years old, trying to find answers. And I stumbled across nutrition. Now it wasn't anywhere close to the information. I think that would pop up now if I Googled that same thing, um, which I should, after this, I'm totally going to Google that to see what comes up. Um, but I, I will say I found nutrition and I became really curious. I'm like, that's a good point. I've never thought about what I've ate. The only thing I knew was to eat a lot of like carbs before I played soccer games, but that was the extent of what I thought about nutrition at that point. And then I went on to play at, um, I played division one soccer in college and still like, even in that kind of program, didn't have a lot of help with my nutrition. Um, so it just came from being really, really curious of, I know there's a relationship between all of these things and nutrition and how I could perform and heal and all of these other things we're asking our bodies to do and just not being really certain of how that might happen. Um, so to speed up, I ended up not, um, I didn't play all four years. I suffered another bad injury and I transferred back, started my degree in nutrition and dietetics found running. I had a job, a part-time job where someone invited me to run a 50 K, um, without really knowing what a 50 K was or how long it was. I said, yes, I'm a very say yes, ask questions later type of person. <laughs> and, um, I started, you know, loving running and simultaneously studying nutrition. And then somewhere around there, I'm like, wow, for the first time, I'm starting to understand the connect between performance and nutrition. And it felt both of those things felt like a really good fit for me. That's awesome. I mean, obviously you can't be that old because you said you Googled it. <laughs> when I was in high school, you couldn't Google anything. <laughs> but I mean, that's cool that you kind of just fell into it. And then that was your passion because, you know, nutrition is so difficult for all of us to understand as with running, you can see the mileage or you have a tracker for it, but you really don't have a tracker of what type of fuel you put into your body or you should, because, you know, it's not like you know, when you eat broccoli, you're going to turn green, or if you eat something that's bad for you, your body turns red. So that's a very difficult area for a lot of us to, to play with. Yeah, I can't agree more because I think too, as runners where we love data and we tend to be like, I mean, we're our own special kind of people, if we're being honest. And I feel like you, you and I can make fun of us because we're, we're one of us. Um, but we tend to be like type A um, people. And so we love to know like black and white answers and nutrition is something that like, I challenge the heck out of my clients and honestly myself to like, understand that there's a lot of grays in nutrition and getting like comfortable in that, which is really difficult. I think for a lot of athletes and the types of personalities that running attracts. Yes, absolutely. Cause there's the type of food, the amounts of food, and then the timing of how much, when, there's so much to it. And uh, I'm sure we do it all wrong, but you know, that's what we have here, have you here for. And perhaps you can enlighten us a little bit um, about how we go about it. So maybe we can start with fueling just during your runs or, you know, the fueling that you take before or after your runs. I'm not talking about the daily nutrition, but more like, um, do we fuel short runs, long runs, morning runs, if we want to 
be fat adaptive, whatever that term means. Um, what if we run those 60 minutes at a slow pace versus a fast pace? Maybe you can kind of organize and uh, tell us how to go about that. Yeah, that's, I get these questions all the time. The things that you just asked is like my top asked questions probably um, from working with clients or when I speak and stuff like that. And people kind of frequently ask questions, right? And so I think that, so what I always like for people to know is for talking from a general sense, I always start with like the evidence-based answers that I learned and were trained in. And then when I work one-on-one with clients, we dial it in to make those textbook answers, ranges, recommendations, and dial it into that individual based on tolerance, food preferences, goodness, schedule, um, demands of life, and all of these things. And so I think that some of these things that I learned reading out of a textbook or reading this evidence-based information is a really good starting place, but to understand it as a starting place, and it's a start, not like a destination um, with some of these things. So as far as when do we start fueling before our runs and that kind of thing. So rule number one, before we dive way too deep into this, if you're hungry or you're feeling more fatigued from prior days of training, um, or you just want something to eat, um, by no means do I think that you should be forcing yourself to skip fueling. Um, your body's asking for something, your run's going to go better. Um, I think that most of us are runners because we love running and we're not doing it as our full-time job. So if my running is a place where I'm not enjoying it, then that means that after my run, we have to go to school. We have responsibilities and stuff like that. So I like to feel good on my run because a lot of times it's the best part of my day. Um, so that's something to think about too. So um, I would say I more strongly encourage fueling runs with um, carbohydrates. If it's early in the morning, anywhere from 200 to 300 calories of carbohydrates, um, it can have small amounts of protein and fat, but mostly be um carb focused. Um, if it's a run that's over, you know, 60 minutes or a high intensity run. So those are really our, our longer runs and then our workout. So track tempos, intervals, hills, stuff like that. Um, so times when our heart rate is a little bit higher because we actually use a higher percentage of those, that stored carbohydrates in those types of workouts. Um, so, I would say even I get the fat adapted question all the time. It's really popular right now. And while there is some good evidence, it's a very specific type of athlete that's benefiting from the occasional, um, let's just have a cup of coffee and run type of thing. And I will, um, just tell you that 98, 99% of my clients don't really fit that specific mold that it seemed to be productive in. Um, and so the thing to think about too with fueling is there's a whole adaptation for your GI tract in terms of taking in fuel that your little, the little microfibers in your GI tract now are getting sciencey starts to like adapt to being able to take in fuel. So if you plan to, um, to eat before you race and stuff like that, um, just like how you have to practice race pace, your, your gut has to practice taking in that fuel and it's able to tolerate things a little bit better if we've practiced it. Um, and it's adapted to it. So long story short, um, it's very individual of when I start recommending fuel, 
but, um, you know, not going out of your way to try to skip fuel. Um, I'll be really honest. I have a few days that are under an hour and easy. And if it's early and if I feel okay, I, I will wait until after my run to eat, but, um, those other ones, you know, um, I find that I have more energy to run faster and further, which is what we all want, um, on mornings that I, I carve out a little bit more time to get fuel in and then, you know, make sure that my stomach will be good during the run. That's interesting. So, so are you saying that if we do at, a, if we do a run at a lower heart rate, it's not as necessary as fueling the runs where we're trying to go for more of an intensity and intensity, you mean a higher heart rate or a longer run? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, what I will say is that, um, when our heart rate is lower. So there's a lot of energy pathways going on at the same time to provide molecules and glucose for your, for your body. So we can actually break down fat as fuel through a process called beta oxidation. And all that is, is breaking down fat as fuel. How I explain this is using fat as fuel versus using carbohydrates as fuel. So I love this analogy. So carbohydrates as fuel is like Amazon prime energy. Give it to me right away on your doorstep. Let's go. Um, beta oxidation or fat, um, using fat as fuel is really like UPS during a pandemic. Like you, it's a slower releasing type of thing. And so when our heart rate is lower, then we don't need quite of that quickly available fuel that we do when our heart rate's a little bit higher. So the higher our heart rate, the more we're tapping into our glycogen storages, which is our storages of carbohydrates that we store in our muscles and livers opposed to, um, being able to use like the 80 to 100,000 calories of fuel that we all have, even the thinnest of us have, um, as fuel, it's a slower process. Um, so hopefully that helps kind of distinguish, and it's not using one versus the other. We're using a higher percentage of one versus the other based on like our lactate threshold levels and stuff like that. So the science of it is really, really interesting. And that's what I really encourage people to understand that it's not like an all or nothing. Should I fat adapt or not? It's just, there's a lot going on in our bodies that are, and it's miraculous what your body's doing for you to provide fuel for you so that you don't bonk or hit the wall or, you know, break down. And so it's not just a simple yes or no question. There's a lot of moving parts in this question. And even with the science, how it is, even in times that it might point out that fat adapting might benefit you. It's like, well, how did you sleep? How are you feeling? Are you starving? Um, if you're a female, what's your, your, you know, cycle, like, where are you at in that phase? There's so many moving parts that make this not a simple answer. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> but it's definitely a prevalent question because a lot of us get into running because at first we want to lose that extra freshman 15 that we gained in college or even later on the baby weight. So yeah. we want to do that. And then we struggle with marathon training and we gain weight as we marathon train. And then we also have that runger, you know, the runner's hunger that everyone talks about. So it's really complicated to figure out how much to fuel in the first place, but then also whether or not to have your runs fueled. Yeah, that's such a really good point. And I think running is such a simple sport. Um, and it's something that we can easily get into just to provide more movement to your body or just to create, um, you know, a higher energy expenditure if you're trying to, to lose weight. So it's super simple. Um, but I think that the cool thing about running, it's like pros and cons of 
then we, you know, get into it to just be more active. And then all of a sudden we sign up for races, decide it's fun, buy a GPS watch, go to a running store to get fitted for shoes, might hire a coach. And then all of a sudden we've gone from exercise to performance. And when, when we make that jump from exercise to performance and we start caring about, um, about what the outcome of our running is and that we DQ or maybe we finish a race for the first time, a 5k, a 10k, a half marathon, a full marathon, then, um, you know, if we're in too large of a caloric deficit, then our bodies won't be able to keep up. And that's even important to note with exercise too. We don't want too large of a caloric deficit. It's not good for our bodies and we shouldn't be in one all the time, even if we are trying to lose weight. Um, but yeah, definitely when we jump over to the performance aspect, um, it's such a delicate balance. And even when athletes come to me and they are like, they come to me and their first goals are like, they're like, I want to lose 10 pounds in Boston qualify. I'm like, okay, which one of those is important first? Because we, sometimes we have to prioritize one of those things and it might not be safe to simultaneously attack that depending on what's going on with that person. Yes. Very true. Very true. Um, another point that you made was you were talking about basically practicing fueling that you do <clears throat> because you can't just go out and do your marathon and then take the fuel. So how much of practicing do you think we should do? So say, is it enough to just do your Sunday long run and practice with the fueling then? Or should we also do the, the random 10 milers that we do during the week? Should we be using that same fuel that we plan on using for a marathon day? Such a good question. So I would say anything over like 60, 75 minutes, really 75 minutes for during run fuel. Um, I would say practicing whatever you're going to use in a race for that. So if your 10 mile random run happens to be over 75 minutes, um, I say, why not? Like, why not? I have a medium long run day in the middle of the week. And a lot of times while I was trying to dial things in for Houston, I'm like, it's just one more opportunity um, to practice. And I'm starting those runs at five, five 30 AM. So goodness knows I didn't eat a lot before that run. Um, and then I'm turning around, you know, 24, 48 hours later to do another pretty demanding run. And so by fueling during it, not only do we get to practice our gut adapting, but another benefit of that is that we're not tapping super far into our energy storages, which will allow us to recover faster for that run that we have to turn around and do in a few days um, because we're more fueled. So our body has like substrates to pull from. Um, and, you know, so that might mean that we're a little bit less sore. I don't know. Have you ever had a run where you feel like you fueled it really well? And then you've been surprised like that you weren't as depleted you know, in that next run, or you're expecting to be really tired. And then maybe you fueled the run a little bit better. And you're like, wow, my legs don't hurt, or I'm not as tired. Yes, yes, absolutely. Those those good ones happen, <laughs> along with the bad ones, right? Because because we practice, but um, yeah, so maybe we can talk a little bit about those GI issues that you hear about. Um, I personally don't have GI issues during my marathon, but I have something that every time When I finish a fast marathon, my stomach is in cramps for hours afterwards, and I have no idea why, but during the run, it's fine. It takes about an hour to, to set on and it basically lasts all evening long, but I know other runners have GI issues during the run. And I've been reading a lot about how your body is putting the blood more towards your limbs now, because you're running away from your gut. Maybe you can, uh, 
demystify this whole GI issue during when you're running race pace. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It all goes back to that. You have more blood diverting from your gut to your, your working muscles so that you can, so that you can run. Right. Um, so with that, the, the GI tract is just a little bit more sensitive because there's less blood moving to it. Um, so why people have GI issues? Oh my goodness. Like I could name 10 different reasons right now of why one might have GI issues. The most common things that I see is not practicing your race nutrition. So your gut has not adapted. Um, having like the wrong concentration of carbohydrates to fluid. Um, so that might be that, you know, maybe you're doing a sports drink that is overly concentrated, um, or maybe it doesn't have the right amount of electrolytes because carbs and electrolytes work together to move across, um, membranes in your GI tract so that you tolerate it a little bit better. Um, it could be that there's an underlying, you know, health condition or something like that, not necessarily a disease, but things like, you know, maybe some IBS, um, going on that, you know, maybe we're not tolerating a particular kind of sugar that's in the gel because ultimately most sports nutrition products, gels, chews, fluids, stuff like that. They're, they're pretty simple sugars and, um, appropriately. So, but some of those things are, are, if you have like an underlying thing that makes you, um, sensitive or intolerant to a specific type of sugar, then that can cause some issues too. Um, a lot of times we have like these nerves going on and it's very psychosomatic, right? Um, so before we run or during a run, we're just a little bit nervous. So that can create a lot of, um, a lot of issues too. So there's a lot of things that could be going on. The best way to mitigate some of these issues is to number one practice. So, you know, if you have one of these underlying things that I kind of spoke about or that, um, you know, you can get a right concentration of carbohydrates to fluid to electrolytes that your body agrees with. And it's one more thing we can be confident about, because if you think about it in a race situation, we can't control the weather. Um, we can kind of pick what course we're going to run, but you know, we can't necessarily, you know, plan where a hill's going to be or whatever, where our bodies are going to work a little bit harder. Um, there's so many unexpected things. I feel like I could write a book of unexpected things that have happened to me in like travel races or on the course. Um, so nutrition is something that we can control. And so it's one more place that we can be confident about. So if we're more confident about our fueling, that means we're going to be less nervous about it. So it's kind of like a, a two-way street, like we're more confident. So we're less nervous. And that's going to help our GI tract. So um, there's a lot of things that could be happening, but just starting to dial it in and practice it and using the weeks in like what a normal marathon block is 12 to 16 weeks, depending on what plan you go with um, using those weeks to really, really um, dial it in for yourself. Yeah, it sounds like a good plan. We should definitely use that fueling so we can practice even, you know, during our marathon simulation runs pretend it's a real marathon and see how, how that works for us. Um, I also heard to stay away from certain foods, um, before race day or before the race immediately before, could you mention those for our runners? Yeah, absolutely. So I create little like carbohydrate loading slash what to avoid, maybe implement plans for date for my clients. And 
the day out from the race, I really have them lower their intake of um, fat. Fat can cause more GI issues as it takes longer to digest. Um, also, it can make us feel a little bit sluggish, which nobody wants to feel sluggish during a race day. Fiber is actually indigestible plant matter. It's really, really great for us in an everyday sense, but from a day before the race, again, like can be a little bit slower to move out of our bodies. So, um, and then also can just be like hard on our GI track. And so, um, lowering our fiber intake, being careful of things like spicy foods and stuff like that, that can cause issues. Um, so not the time to have a great big salad. I know a lot of people are traveling and they're eating out places and, you know, a lot of times out of the year, they're trying to make like the healthiest choice. So they go with things that are like raw veggies or salads or stuff like that. And, um, we want to be prioritizing carbohydrates and then also, and not filling up on that kind of stuff. And then also that, um, those kinds of foods are actually the ones that can cause the most GI distress. Um, not the time to get like a big cream based soup or not fried foods or anything like that, that can present issues, um, the next day. So I really focus on that maybe, um, 48 hours out, but really, really start, um, you know, stepping away from those things, especially the day out. Yeah. Okay. That makes complete sense. And we'll have to write these down to do things better next time. Um, what about the controversial caffeine? We see it in some gels and some people love it. And some people say, stay away from it. I think it's, that's highly individual. Um, so some people, the caffeine can cause GI distress. Um, but I didn't mention that, but you're absolutely right. Um, but some people like I take caffeine every time I get nutrition on a course and I love it and I don't have any GI distress because of it. Um, it increases our heart rate, which can increase our mean arterial pressure, meaning that, um, you know, we are again, like blood's going away from the gut. We're increasing our arterial pressure. So there's going to be more issues, um, caffeine as a stimulant. Um, so I would say during it, that's something, again, another reason to practice it. Um, some of my athletes where they've fallen, um, has been taking caffeine every other time during a race, or maybe just taking caffeine, like the last 10 K of a marathon or something, just to give them like that extra push. Um, I recently did Houston and I took a little bit of, um, caffeine every time I got to, um, the place where my bottles were. Um, so I'm a big fan. The other side of that is caffeine. What about caffeine? Like in the days leading up and stuff like that, I actually reduce my caffeine intake the weeks leading up because, um, a, it makes us more sensitive to the race course caffeine. And then also we're prioritizing rest. And so I've found a huge connection with myself and some of my clients with, um, caffeine intake and our, our quality of sleep and stuff like that really in the timing that it's, um, important to rest and get that quality sleep. Interesting. Perfect. Well, you know, you kind of demystified it. Everybody's different. And so, um, I know. yeah, I, know. I feel like anybody listening is frustrated. They're like, girl, just give us a clear answer, but it's, well, you kind of did. You told us that we need to practice with it and see yeah. how it affects us. So that yeah. is pretty clear to me. Yeah. Um, so you brought up Houston and I now want to dive into your experience with the last Olympic trials qualifier, you qualified under the new standard and huge congratulations on that. We would love to hear about 
your race, how you fueled, but not just that, just how everything went and how you were able to go from your already fast marathon was your first one? It was a 244. My my um 2020 um Olympic trials qualifier was a 244 and then Houston was 234. Okay. So let's talk about how you went to going this fast. Yeah. So, um, I had had a pretty good race season leading up and I signed up for the Houston half, believe it or not, but my coach, um, and I were back and forth about maybe switching it to a marathon. And the reason is I'd ran a half in December and my plan all year was to run like U S half marathon championships and then, um, go to Houston. And I just had such a good season. Um, and I felt really healthy. And so we were, the standard came out like the day before us half champs. And my coach was like, just keep focusing on us half champs. Like that's, you know, the biggest monster right now. And we'll talk about like the new standard later. And so I ran, um, us champs. It went really well. And a few days went by and I asked, um, I didn't really know how I felt, but I wanted like the smart person on your team to examine all angles. And I was like, would it be crazy if we changed my entry? And we both kind of thought about it for a little bit. And he's like, let's watch the weather. And so then we needed a 10 day forecast, which as runners that already makes us psychotic. And so we watched the weather and the temperature was good, but the wind was like all over the place. We couldn't come up with a clear answer. And he kind of landed at, okay, they'll let you switch your entry. You're pretty inexperienced when it comes to the marathon for like going for Olympic trials qualifier. Like I think Houston was my fifth marathon and this was like spread out over eight or nine years. And so he, um, he was like, let's just go for it. And then if you have a day where the conditions are bad and maybe you're not on pace to qualify, then compete because, um, USAP has came in after the fact in other qualification windows and changed like retroactively what the standard is. So he's like, you'll, you never know if you don't run like the current standard, if they'll adjust it or, you know, running for place will be really important. And so I had, um, really dialed in my race nutrition of like what that more recently looks like for me. And it's always something that I think that like I've mastered and then like a new season and new challenges present themselves, or I get a little bit more clearer about like my body with more seasons. And that's something that like, you know, I think that while we don't want to be psychotic about it, I think that always, you know, evaluating, considering things and stuff like that and using our bodies like guinea pigs is so, so important for all athletes and not thinking that we don't need to revisit things. And so this season I've been a dietitian for five years. And so this season, um, I really started to understand my personal body a little bit better. And, um, I started, um, carb loading a little bit more effectively and reeling things in because I realized I had the tendency to get nervous before races. And I think that I was thinking I was eating more than what I was because of the nerves. And I was like, I am eating a lot. And I was eating a good amount before races, but, um, with doing the math and actually like mapping it out, like I found that maybe I was like a snack short every day or something like that in my carb load. So I really nailed that down. And then, um, with my race nutrition, I've always been someone that does better with just the higher on the higher range of calories on the course. Um, so that's something that I always speak to. And people are always floored when they um, hear how much I take in. I still take in like 
this the textbook amount that's recommended, just the highest range possible. And so that's something through trial and error I found that I've like, you know, really landed at. And that's, I think that's what makes me such a strong advocate of fuel. I know everybody's different, but I've just felt the difference in my own body from going from like a gel every five miles, which is something that's really common for runners to land at to, you know, 120 calories every 5k, which is every 18 minutes for me, you know? And so, um, that is, um, you know, I, I carbohydrate loaded a little bit differently than maybe what I had in a few years. Um, and so, and the one thing that happened to me at Houston was that I didn't bonk in the last, um, 10 K or I didn't hit the wall. And that's something that I never been able to say. And then, um, yeah, I took nutrition on the course. I got a bottle, um, every, every 5k and each bottle had about 120 calories in it. And so, um, altogether every 5k, I think that just came short of 900 calories on the course, which is, um, a higher amount, like the recommendation for anything over two and a half hours, the textbook recommendation is 60 to 90 grams per hour. So I think it, I landed somewhere in the eighties, um, as far as grams of carbohydrates per hour. Um, so it's high, but at the same time, like that is what I have found has worked the best for me. Um, certainly people will tell you, you don't need that much. And certainly like, I don't think everybody does, you know, operate the best with that much, but that's why it's so, so important to reel that in for yourself. That's so cool. And then you cross the finish line and uh, how many people were ahead of you? Females? Uh, nine. Wow. That, that's amazing. I mean, huge congrats. That's just awesome. What did you. it feel like? Oh my gosh. So the standard is sub 237. I, I ran 234. And so my last experience of, of qualifying in 2020 was um, we had to run a sub 245 and I ran 244.20. So like pretty close, like 40 seconds is a good amount of time, but at the same time, like right there. Right. Um, so I wasn't expecting to be minutes under, I didn't know I was in that kind of shape. Um, just how the day played out with the wind and getting in a pack and realizing I didn't want to be caught alone in a headwind because Houston is like a little clover course. So the wind was really strong. So, I mean, American records were set that day and everyone's like, the day was so fast. I'm like, what you have to understand though, is that there was 20 mile per hour wind. So, and it's not a point to point race. So yeah, we had a, a tailwind when it was a critical part of the race, but I also raced, you know, probably, you know, eight to nine miles in a headwind, a pretty bad one. And so, um, you know, I think that I just chose to stay with the pack and not get caught on the course alone in a headwind. And that was like probably the best decision I could have made on that day. And so I was so surprised. And also like, I don't know if you've ever had a race where, you know, that mental, ability to focus and concentrate is kind of withering away. And I was a little bit confused. Like I was a little bit like, is the clock wrong? Because in some races that I have done some of like elite races I've done, they let the women go first. So the clocks aren't right. And it's a lower time than what you're actually running. And I was like, thinking back, I'm like, did the men and women start together? Is this like the real clock time? And I was like a little bit confused of what was happening. And even finishing the race, I felt like I was like hesitant because I'm like, this isn't really, am I, is this happening right now? <laughs> wow. That's amazing. But you have your watch, I'm assuming, right. And then you have your split paces. So you knew you're 
on point for that. But um, this obviously has nothing to do with nutrition. But when you train, do you train by yourself or do you have a group that went with you? Oh, that's such a good question. That was one of the things that with Houston, which was really different than a lot of other races I've gone to, I went to Houston pretty solo. Like a lot of times I'm used to going with like friends and stuff like that. Um, my husband met me the day before the race, he flew, um, by himself. I went two days before. And so he met me there, but even just having one per I'm so grateful he came because I would have been like, so alone and lonely, um, at home, I train with, um, I have a mix of friends, to be honest, the team that I run for is out in Boulder, Colorado, and I live in Florida. Um, so I visit them a few times a year, but, um, or at least I have in the past year, but at home, I, one of my friends actually trains under that same coach. She's my best friend. And we, we live 45 minutes apart. I actually ran with her last night, but, um, so we make it work. She has a baby and stuff like that. She's pretty quick too. Um, but you know, we ultimately maybe get to run together like twice a week. And that's both of us like sacrificing and working really hard to run together. Um, and then I have some other friends that have been really great to mix things up with me too, but it's not like an organized thing. And it's definitely like me running in other groups and, and stuff like that. And then my team being, you know, essentially across the country. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, though, at this pace, it's got to be hard to find people that run with you unless you're doing your, your slower runs. So that's why I was wondering, but, um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, um, my best friend, she's, she's really quick. So we get to, she's like my best training partner, I think. And then, um, I've been really fortunate as far as the community that I do live in a lot of times, um, guys have helped me. My husband, um, is, is quick. And if he's in shape and training, he can run with me. So he's been really, um, really generous in terms of sacrificing his body to help me, (laughs) um, train. So a lot of times it has been unique, but I think that there's also something to be said about doing it by yourself, because if you can also do it by yourself, like when you have a pack, it feels so much easier. If you're someone that thrives in a pack or likes to race, I think that there's that side too. And so I think a mix of both, um, for me has been a really good fit. Right. Right. But then you still have to kind of strategize prior to the race to decide whether you're going to stay with a pack and, and, you know, what that front pack is planning on doing. Um, and then, you know, if there's one person that leads it, when is that person going to try to take off and, and all that? I imagine that's pretty difficult too. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, so, um, my husband had mapped out on the course, like the direction of the wind for me, um, at Houston. And he kind of told me the parts that would be hard. And he was like, don't get caught alone on these sections of the course based on like the direction of the wind that, you know, a few days out, you know, um, you know what the direction is going to look like. And so, um, that was something that we were rolling pretty quick and I was okay with having quicker splits the first like 10 miles where we didn't really have, I didn't really get into the group until like eight or nine. And then, you know, at 12, we started having a headwind. Um, so I thought in the headwind, honestly, we would slow it down. And I was in a pack of three women and guys. And I was like, certainly, certainly we're going to slow down. Certainly some of these men that are half of a foot taller than all of us are going to get in front of us and block it for us, which is 
<laughs> maybe a crazy thing to assume, but that was my expectation. Um, I was like, gosh, block it for us. None of us are that helpful. Um, and that's not what happened. We kept running the same faster pace. And I turned around cause I thought maybe I should slow down. There was nobody. Um, so I was like, okay, it's probably better to stay with them. And then this girl that was in our course, like she was not slowing down, nor did she want anybody to jump in front of her. I was like, maybe I should help. And then I could just tell in her body language, she liked to lead and she was not interested in any, and none of the men were trying to jump in front. And then the last 10 K we had a tailwind, which is why everyone was like, it's the fastest day. Um, and she took off and I went with her and the, another girl that took off too, for a little bit. And then I started kind of telling myself, okay, you've never ran the last 10 K that well, maybe, you know, I ran about three miles, um, with them. And it was from 20 to 23 was my fastest 5k split. Um, because this girl was taking off just like a mad woman, she was a machine. Um, and so it's kind of crazy, exactly what you said, like making little choices in the day and, um, yeah, expect definitely like expecting other people to help out and being like, all right, I guess this is what's happening and rolling with it too. And obviously on a different day that might not have worked for me, I might've blown up. <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's that's so interesting. And then, um, you know, with with making those choices, obviously, since you are an expert in nutrition and probably really, really obviously good at your training as well, what do you do for mental training? You know, to be able to be strong enough to make those choices, because um, that's another thing that we can't see. We can see our miles, but we can't see what's going on in our heads. And how do you make sure that you have a strong day? Oh, I love that so, so much. Um, it's something that my coach has worked with me a lot on and he works with all of his athletes on. Um, so he started having us do um, the the app or two different apps, meditation apps called um, 10% and then Headspace. Headspace is really popular. And he actually bought us like a team subscription to those, um, those apps that are um, guided meditations. And so that's something that nobody has worked with me on is the mental component, not even as a soccer player. And so what it did for me is I think when you're racing, you have a lot of thoughts and you have a lot of moments where you, and even in Houston, those thoughts come up. He always says at some point, you're going to get punched in the face, um, where you start to say, I'm slowing down. I'm starting to hurt. This is the end. I'm not going to click off miles that are on pace anymore. Oh no. Like starting to have these, um, negative thoughts. And, I think what having like some of these apps that are meditation apps have kind of taught me is to slow the moment down and be aware of those thoughts. And, um, I've been practicing this for so long. And again, this starts at the training level. You're not just going to magically do it on race day, even in workouts, practicing this and be aware of like what you're thinking. And then also like not judge what you're thinking. Um, just letting the thought roll by and then, um, using that as an opportunity to like shift your focus a little bit. So you're able to be aware, you're able to catch it and you're able to redirect it. And when I first started doing this, um, what I found was like the first steps were just becoming aware. And I didn't really possess any of the skills to like redirect it. But as I practiced becoming more aware, I started to be able to like shift the focus a little bit. And one of my teammates said something really awesome to me before the race. She said, she told me to win every moment. And I think she like said it and like, and I really like clung on to that, like win every moment. And I started thinking about it even deeper. And in the race, I kept thinking of her words and, um, I started asking myself, 
how can you win every moment? And every time I had a tough moment in the race, I was like, how can you win this moment? Like, forget about how many miles you have left, how forget about what's going on. How can you win this moment? And a lot of times the answer was to breathe, to tuck in, to get all of my nutrition down, to smile, to maybe like take the focus off of how bad I'm hurting and just like smile and like lighten yourself. And so that was something that I really love because it gave me something to do. <laughs> and, um, and it, it kept it like, you know, something of like, okay, you can't control that you have a headwind right now, but what can you do right now? Okay, cool. Like you can work a little bit less hard by, you know, tucking in and, you know, getting out of the wind. Oh my gosh. It's such a good answer. You have so much knowledge and we hope to have you back on, um, sometime soon and maybe talk some more nutrition, but also other stuff because it's, uh, we're, yeah, we're super grateful to have you on and, uh, well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And if our runners want to get in touch with you for nutrition help or just follow you, how can they do so best? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm sports dietitian, Kelsey, for all of your nutrition knowledge that is somewhat sassy. Um, and then on Facebook, I have a private Facebook group. That's not so private ask, and I'll let you in. It's called endurance sports nutrition. Um, and then my website is meteornutrition.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was so fun. All right, Kelsey, once again, thank you so much for speaking with me and all the information that you were able to provide me with. We're super grateful and this is so helpful. And like I said, I hope that we have you on in the future. And with that, Ryan, anything else? Have a happy week running. Have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running. <laughs>